course. And it has been um, a really busy time. I was thinking about this this past week and, and the week with the church in view and of how very busy our pastors have been. And I think this morning we want to just mention them in prayer that it's a huge amount of things that they're involved with. And now at the end of the year, um, Pastor Nathan, Nathan has some extra things. And when I think of what Pastor Darrell has had to be involved in the last month has been really heavy for them. And so um, I just want to mention them in prayer this morning and, and thank the Lord for faithful men and, and women who work to help make the programs go together. So let's just bow in prayer and take some time before our study. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the leaders that you have have placed here and for the blessing, Lord, of uh, your goodness and faithfulness to us. We think of the events of the last few weeks and those going ahead, Lord, we ask your, your blessing and your hand upon them to give strength to those who are involved and to just draw in people who do not know you. Help us to be in mind, Lord, of our community and the people who come to know you because of the work of the ministry that goes on here. We pray for that this morning, that as we think of the work of the ministry of Jesus Christ, we pray that you will speak to our hearts this morning through the scripture that we're going to be looking at. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, on your study guides, I printed out the scriptures only so that when we have questions, you can look up at the, um, the printed account right in front of you. But please open your Bibles also. We're going to be using them for looking up some other verses that go along with the lesson. And this is a, um, we're talking about the parable of the sower and the seeds. And these are familiar stories to most of you. You've probably heard them since you were young kids. And um, sometimes when you get something that's taught a lot, it's hard to put it into context in a, in a new framework that, that interests and, and, and excites people. But you know, the word of God is the word of God. It never tires and it always varies and it always teaches. And so as we look at this parable of the sower this morning, I want you to look at it and we'll be looking at two other shorter parables um, along with this. I want you to look at this as a reminder of how the word of God grows in us, how it affects the lives of people, how it changes us, and how God continually works through his word. And that's something we need to think about, of how God works. Things don't just happen, but God works through his word, and, and he works in our lives within this world that we live in. Um, and these, this parable today, the parable of the sower, helps us to focus on having an environment for growth. Because we're going to be looking at where the seeds fall, how they fall, how they affect our lives. So um, I'm going to start reading, first of all, Mark 4. And we'll take the first portion this parable is told by Jesus to a large crowd of people. Um, basically, it's after he's fed the 5,000 and people gathered around him, including his disciples, including the elite of the church, the Pharisees, the scribes, the learned people. And Jesus is an anomaly. 
He teaches the word of God only. His whole message is, has to do, his whole message has to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom. He preaches the kingdom of God. I've come to teach and to preach the kingdom of God. And he says that himself. And so that's what we're going to see here. So let's just start reading. I'm going to start at Mark 4, starting in verse 1, going down through verse 9. And again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. And the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into the boat and he sat in it out on the lake. Just imagine this, a crowd so large, no microphones, no big screens, no cameras, just Jesus sitting in a boat out on the lake. Hard to imagine how that carried, isn't it? Maybe in our, in our minds today, if you don't have the electronics and the tech to go along with it, it's not going to happen. So he's out on the lake in a boat and sat on it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. And he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So let's take a look at this. And again, I know that you've had this before, and I want you to think about this as we go through questions. He's talking about seeds, soils, and the sower. The sower goes out, or farmer, a farmer who sows the seed went out to sow, sow it. And as he was scattering the seed, it fell where it fell, okay? So I want you to, um, in, in our discussion today, just start out with this parable, these verses. Don't go into the interpretation. That's next, because I know you know the story and the interpretation. So stick with this. And let's just review the four soils that Jesus presents in the story and describe how the soil <coughs> affects the seed. Now, we should know about that. We live in farm country, and some of us garden, and some of us garden in places where the soil is not so great. We have to do things to it. So let's start out. First of all, the first soil is pathway soil, I call it. What's it like? Hard. Impenetrable by small seeds. Second soil, rocky soil. What's wrong with rocky soil? More rocks than soil. More rocks than soil. Any of you have those problems? You have rocky soil? Hard to grow. You have to find a spot that's got a little puddle where the rain will catch. Um, shallow soil, basically. And then, um, what about the third soil? The third one is 
Yeah. Thorny soil. Overgrown. Overgrown, and the weeds come up, and primarily thorns come and choke everything that you've got planted. They don't bear green. The, the, the rocky soil doesn't have any, any chance to even produce green. It just grows up and dies, basically. The thorny soil allows plants to grow up, but can't produce because of all of the things that crowded out. And then upon the good soil, what's the result? Good harvest. Good harvest. Good harvest. So what he's doing is comparing the good soil, the tillable, fertile soil, <clears throat> with all of these other types. It's exactly what you find in a crowd. There is more of the bad, usually, than there is of the good. There's the hard pathway, hard soil that is impenetrable for seed. A shallow, rocky soil that won't grow anything, choked out um, seeds in the, in the thorny soil, and then the fertile soil. So he's talking to this crowd, not specifically to any particular group, but it begins and ends, and he starts and stops the parable with these words. He begins in verse 3 and verse 9 with a call to listen. And he wanted his audience to hear this <clears throat> and to think about the story. If you're not familiar with the, with the interpretation that follows, what would you think of the story? You're just standing there. You hear him talk about soils and planting, and the sower goes out to sow. No interpretation at this point. What's he talking about? I think I went to the wrong classroom. Yeah, I think I went to the wrong classroom. Why? Well, because it's not what I was anticipating. Right. We have the rabbi, Jesus, teaching a crowd of people, and what he does is he fills his time talking about something that's very familiar to them, the sowing of seed. He didn't teach them anything that was spiritual in this first part. In other words, in this, before we get to the interpretation, what he's telling you is a straightforward story about what happens when a farmer goes out to a field. Sandy. And they would probably think it's rather foolish of the farmer to spread so uh, seed on right. poor ground. Yeah. And what's wrong with the farmer? And why is he doing it this way? Their focus then is not on spiritual things at this point. It's on what they didn't hear and why are they listening to this? But he says, listen and hear. And, and it's really directed to the crowd. So he doesn't say anything else to them really until you get to verse 10 through 12. And in your Bibles, and I've got it up here uh, on, your, on your papers on page two. Jesus speaks and gives um, clues about his, his purposes here. So I have the question, what clues does Jesus give us here in verses 10 through 12 and about the purpose? Can you find a spiritual interpre interpretation and who's this parable for? In verse 10, he says, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked about the parables. And he told them, he doesn't even interpret the parable here. He says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. 
So what is Jesus talking about? What's he telling his disciples? The secret of the kingdom has been given to you guys, okay? But to those on the outside, I'm telling parables. And this parable begins with something that's not spiritual, just a simple story. So they want to know what it means. And then he makes this statement. So the secret of the kingdom of God is what? It's been given to those men that are gathered around him. What is the secret of the kingdom? But to those on the outside, it hasn't been given. Do you know? Yes, Carol. I have a note that says, Con, the secret seems to be the kingdom of God had drawn near and, and, and the coming of Jesus Christ. Yes. All right, some of you have notes in your Bible, and that's what you'll see. This, the kingdom of God has drawn near in the person of Jesus Christ. And here, it is here and among them. So the secret of the kingdom of God is found in Jesus Christ. He said that before, at the very beginning of the chapter, um, chapter 1 in Mark, I think it's Mark 1-4. The kingdom is among you. The kingdom is near you. And he says that over and over in the Gospels. We looked at that in the very first week that I taught. The kingdom of God is here. And the secret of the kingdom is that I represent the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come into the world into human experience. The disciples are just beginning to understand that. But to those that are on the outside, they don't get it. Now, in our world today, tell me about the picture that we have here. Has the kingdom of God appeared to our world today? Shake your heads up and down. <laughs> because the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God in your heart, in Jesus Christ, is within you. And he has revealed the kingdom of God to us. But to those who are on the outside, they still don't see it. Do you agree with that? Yes. They don't see it. That's what this is about. It's very current. It's for today. And so the seed is sown, and when he tells his first half of that parable, it doesn't hit them at all. They have no concept of the fact that Jesus is telling them a story that he's going to interpret now for that smaller group that's around him that want to know what in the world you're doing in telling this parable. Because not that he did not want the others to know, but that they could not understand simply because they did not recognize him. Yes? So that explains verse 12, which I found very confusing, especially the last part. But So the crowd did not know Jesus. They saw him That's right. and heard him, but didn't have him in, within them. Right. Okay. They may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Mm -hmm. Is the world like that? 
They may be ever seeing acts of Jesus Christ, but never perceiving. And they see them in us, in your behaviors, in your attitude. But don't understand that some of the things that you do, you only do because you're a born-again Christian. They may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Are you aware of people in your lives or your community that always hear the gospel, but don't respond? That's the way of the world. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven, and not that Jesus was keeping them out, but that they simply had hardened hearts that hadn't received the word. Comments? Didn't he also do this as a fulfillment of prophecy? Mm -hmm. As it was said in the Old Testament. Right, this is from the Old Testament. And um, those who were standing on the outside, and especially the religious elite, did not get it. They should have. They should have, because it was foretold. And Jesus' coming was foretold, and the way that he came was foretold. But they did not get it. Okay, so let's go on from there to the interpretation in Mark 4, 13 through 20. We're going to talk about that also in here. <clears throat> then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word along the path where the word, oh wait, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And I want you to think about what he's describing there and ask yourself, am I like that or do I know people like that? Because that's what his interpretation is about. The people that we know, the people that we live with. Others like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among them, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wrath, of wealth, and desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like the seed sown in good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. <clears throat> Now let's look at these receivers of the seed because here he's interpreting that for us and I kind of want you to do what we did before but I want you to review what Jesus says about the people among whom the word is sown. This is his interpretation. How does each receive the word? Does anything happen in their lives? So even though we've just read it, let's talk about it. The pathway people. What happens to them? How do they receive the word? They don't. They don't. Bounces off. It falls away. There's nothing there for it to take root in. Hardened soil. And then Satan snatches away before it can even begin to make a little surface scratch. 
you know any people like that that are like hard soil? The word of God is given to them many times. But nothing grows. It's, it's sad. And much of the world is like that now. Years ago, people would hear the word, even if it was on rocky or thorny soil, and there'd be something. But many people now are just totally hardened to the word of God. Now, how do you deal with people like that? How do you pray? What do you do? Do you give up on them? I want to show you a verse in Job chapter 38. I want you to turn to this because I had to turn to this because um, if I can find it, Job Psalms, that's how you remember it. <laughs> um, Job, song, or Job 38, 36. You know, it's really easy when you have people in your lives that have no interest at all in spiritual things. They're like this hardened soil. And oftentimes you wonder, you know, should I just give up on them? But I want to read this because um, these verses kind of spoke to me. It says, 36 in Job 38 says, Who endowed the heart with wisdom or gave understanding to the mind? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? Perfect description of the hardened heart. Who alone can soften that hardened heart? God alone. And he does not tell us to give up on that person. The Lord is not slack or slow concerning his promise, but he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He can tip over the water jars of heaven. I always have to connect my mind to a picture, and I love that, because it's really easy to get discouraged with hardened hearts. Much easier to say, oh, let them go. They're not going to listen anyway. God can till the soil. God can till the soil. And we're going to talk about that, too, at the end of how God wants to redeem that soil. Because he came for those hardened hearts. And it's such a relief to know that he's got those water jars up in heaven just waiting for that person that I look at and I'm going, ah, no way. So... Second person. Yes, Laura. I was going to say one of the things that when I read this parable before that struck me was how, um, like, I can remember we just said, it seemed like why would the sower scatter the seed in such places, but just the generosity, like, I think that's one of the things we're supposed to take away, that we shouldn't judge the soil because even the sower sows it everywhere. Everywhere. And, and we need to remember that the sower sows the soil. And in this, in this, um, parable, the sower is Jesus. The field is the word, or the, the, the word of God is, is the seed, but the field is the world. Jesus wants that seed sown everywhere. And then we leave the tipping over of the water jars in heaven to him as we pray. Lord, water that soil. Break apart that hard, hard heart. 
Sometimes there's a miracle and then you never forget it. So we're to keep on praying. All right, second one, the second um, type of people, the rocky, the rocky soil people. How do they respond and what do you think they need most? And do you know anybody like that? They receive it. They receive the word. Now think about this. <clears throat> they receive the word, but what happens? Springs up, but because there's no root, it, it's weak and it can't stay there. And then the seed is sown, and the same thing happens again. Do you know anybody? Can you think of anybody where they have received the word of God and have come away so excited to know him? And the first part of their lives, they hit a, a bump and they're done. But the hunger is still there and the word hits them again and they come back and they start out again all excited. Do you know anybody like that? I think we do. And so for them, they need to have someone go alongside of them and work with them. They have hearts that are open to receiving the word of God. But they need somebody like you that sees their need and puts your arm around them and helps them. So let me just have you turn, if you would, to Hebrews 4.12 in your Bibles, because what these people really do need do need is a, a, a picture of the word of God and, and of how God is working. So Hebrews 4, 12, <clears throat> I think this is the one. All right, for the word of God is living and active. So that seed that went in the ground is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. So we can't believe that it's ever hopeless. It penetrates even to dividing of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And the God of creation is there working within those hearts as that seed is sown. Okay, any other comments before we go on to the next one? Let's look at the thorn-choked people. What happens in their lives? It's a little bit different than what happens to those in the rocky soil. They receive it right away, but as soon as there's a problem, God, God is letting them down. Mm -hmm. What it says in here is they hear the word, but the worries of this life come in. Now with the rocky guy, the, the soul hears the word and, and life springs up immediately, but because there's no root there, it, it doesn't stand. But here the soil has allowed it to take root. But they're distracted. <laughs> but they're distracted by life around them. In other words, right next to them, there are thorns. And the thorns grow as big as they are. And the thorns crowd them out. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, 
the desires of other things that come in and choke the word and make it so the word cannot produce seed, doesn't produce a harvest. So what do you do with thorn-choked people? People who are maybe saying that they're Christians and maybe have received the Lord, but all of a sudden they have no growth and don't produce much in their lives because of the world around them. How do you deal with them? What can you as a, as a believer do to minister to them? And maybe you're like that even, that the things in this world just choke out any growth. What can you do to change that? How can you help someone who's choked by life? Yes, Joan. It's a lot like the rocky soil people. You have to come alongside them and be their form. Mm -hmm. I, when I think of the thorn choked people, I've got a really good friend whose husband went through detox. And the first thing he had to do was give up the corner bar because that's where all of his friends were and they would pull him right back into that. Mm -hmm. And I, I see that with weeds, I'll call them weeds, mm -hmm. because they, they just spring up everywhere. So in order to break those old habits, you know, we have to be there for them and not the old life. And you know, a lot of times we're not there. And again, we think they're hopeless. They think that that corner bar is stronger than God so well. They're just going to go back to their old ways. And they might. They might work and meet with you for a while and then fall off. And the Lord doesn't work that way. He works continually, and he calls on us. This is part of what this is about. Part of this, this parable is about what the Pharisees did not do and what he wants his followers to do. The Pharisees refused to be involved with those sinners. And instead, Jesus calls us to be involved with them. So he says, take those thorn-choked people, and again, wrap your arm around them. Try to get them over the hump. And if they're doing those things while you're ministering to them, Jesus doesn't say to quit. He says, keep on giving them the word. Will you turn to 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25? Peter 1, 23. It says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed. This is even talking, let's say that person in the thorn-choked situation has been born again, but can't bear fruit because of what's around him. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. The word that's planted within us is imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And what the thorn-choked people need, as much as the rocky soil guy, need the word of God. The word of God, quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
the word of God imperishable. And then we have people with prepared hearts. The outcome for them is what? Fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. And again, when we are in a situation with people with prepared hearts, and maybe we're in a whole group of people with prepared hearts, how does God want us to respond? Even though we've maybe all got it together, so we think. What does the Lord want us to do in ministry among those who have prepared hearts? What does the Lord want us to do to minister to those who are fruit-producing, uh, living out their lives for Jesus? What does God want us to do? Encourage them. To encourage them, to stand with them in prayer, to hold them up because Satan is out there working to snatch the seed, the strength, the harvest away from them as much as anybody. So what this parable is about is really about our response to the word. It's not just a parable out there describing people who are not walking with the Lord or people who are walking with the Lord. It's, it's calling for a response from us. Yes. I honestly, speaking honestly, see myself in both of those last two. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think because Satan wants to choke us out and he'll use whatever he can to choke us out. And I think he's constantly working on us that way. Mm -hmm. So then you jump over to prepared hearts and then that's where we encourage each other and we lift each other up. And the, the, a parallel story about that that I think about is... Um, the, the storm and the waves mm -hmm. and Peter walking on the water and we need to encourage each other and keep our eyes on Jesus and not get distracted by right. the storms and the waves. And we need to stand with you because every one of us is like these other soils. We've all had times when we have hardened hearts. I don't want to hear what Jesus has to say to me. I don't need that. In fact, I like what I am right now. Don't bother me. And then sometimes we're like the rocky soil and we're all excited about Jesus. Oh, I praise the Lord every day. And then, <laughs> and then life hits us and we hit a boulder. And that's it. I've got to have my pity party for a while. And then, you know, the soil gets watered again and I'm oh, gung-ho for God. And then I'm not. And thorny soil, the cares of this world, the pleasures of this world, the pull of money, income, friends, all of that is designed to pull us away from the Lord no matter what stage we're in. And even if we're tillable soil, fertile soil, working for the Lord, again, what Jesus is saying, listen to this. This is you. And you need the word of God. Yes. I think something that's very tempting too with you know being choked out is a lot of good things. They is what? Good things that we get our kids yeah. involved in mm -hmm. and just the busyness of mm -hmm. good things. The good things. And choke out and yeah. for what God may You know, good things that we call blessings mm -hmm. in our life can choke out the work of God in our lives. 
we get so wrapped up in the blessing, we forget the blesser. So this is for us. Now, Jesus knows this. So on page three, number four, the interpretation of this parable calls for a response, which is what we've been trying to do. As you think of the various types of responses, can you see yourself? Yes, we can. Mm -hmm. So the next little story gives us a warning. Mark 4, 21 through 25 on your outlines, and I have them here. It says, he said to them, do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And then verse 24, consider carefully what you hear. And he's talking now, this is the smaller group, the group of believers that are gathered around him, the disciples. Consider carefully what you hear. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have will have will even even what they have will be taken from them. So the warning from Jesus about these words that he's just spoken to the group around him is what? This is part of the lesson for us. Do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? So what's Jesus saying there? Let your light shine. Let your light shine among this world made up of people of rocky soil, thorny soil, hard soil, and even good soil. Let your light shine. For whatever is hidden your light is meant to be disclosed. Bring it out into the open, don't hide it. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. That faith that you have, bring it out into the open. Let your light shine. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear that. And that's what he's saying to the crowd. If you've got ears to hear, let your light shine. Don't hide that lamp of the Holy Spirit within you. Consider carefully what you hear. He says this more than once. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And even more, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. What's he saying in that warning? You can do it. Use it or lose it. Use it, <laughs> use it or, or lose it. Take what you have from the Lord. Don't put it under the table where it can't be seen. Don't hide your light. But bring it out. Use it for that world that's choked by thorns, 
for the world that's living in rocky places and can't get their footing, for the world that's so hardened that nothing's going to grow. Take that light of the Spirit of God and allow it to shine because honestly, we are what the world needs. They're lost and we need to think of them that way. And so in whatever measure uh, you use it, it will be given back to you. What's he saying about that? You take your light out, you let it shine, and the measure back to you is what? The end result of planting that seed that Jesus does within our hearts is harvest, mm -hmm. growth. He wants what we have got from him, not to sit there and just be that little seed. I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. But he wants us to produce fruit and that there would be a harvest unto eternity. So whoever has will be given more. Whoever hides that light that he has, even that could be taken from him. In other words, there won't be fruit produced. There won't be reward given. Any questions or comments before we go on? <clears throat> Sandy? I think it's in Matthew where it says, um, you know, hide your light under a bushel, mm -hmm. but you uncover it so that everyone in the house can see. And it, it spoke to me years ago, your light should be brightest at home. Where it's sometimes toughest. Yes. <laughs> Anything else? So, what I think I want you to go away with, with this part of the lesson, because there's more, I hate to tell you. <laughs> I want you to realize that um, all that we have, that all that we have is from God, and that he wants us to use what is planted within us. The story is for believers. It's for those that were gathered around Jesus that had the kingdom of God among them and in them. Doesn't want us to hide it. Okay? So, now, um, the next two... Oh, I need to take this other before we go on to the next two parables. Redeeming the soils. We've talked about that a little. Jesus plants this seed in all of these soils, but we need to know that the soils can be redeemed, and we've talked about that a little bit. It's, it's a fulfillment of the picture that we have in our own lives and in our day-by-day -day gardens that we take care of so carefully. You know, we amend the soil, we water the seed, we harvest, and so on. So Jesus has provided remedies in Scripture for redeeming the soil in our hearts. So it doesn't stay thorny or doesn't stay planted in rocky seed. So let's just take a look at some of these verses. I don't want to take the entire um, four of them, but Isaiah 58, 11, if you just would turn to that, we'll take a few of these. Again, things that you can think of when you're praying for those who are stuck in the soil um, and not producing seed. That's the, what God wants is production, okay? So, 5811, Isaiah 58. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs 
in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden and like a spring whose waters never fail. In a sun-scorched land, like a land that only grows thistles, the Lord can amend that soil. And we need to ask him then to amend that soil in that heart of that person that we're praying for. Lord, make them willing to hear. And then turn over to Isaiah 55, 9, starting there. It says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And what is that saying to you as someone who is praying for those who have soils that are less than perfect, lives that are less than perfect, and you want to help them? What does this particular passage say to you? It's a promise from God, really. And he's promising you that the word that goes out from your mouth will not what? Return empty. Return empty. The word of God is living, sharper than a two-edged sword. The seed of the word is imperishable. And so when we use the word of God and we even live the word of God, it will not return empty. Even in that hard heart. That's actually a promise that God gives us. Encouragement to keep on when the soil looks bad. Okay? And I'm just going to take one more from Psalm 1, 1 through 3. And if you have a chance, read the portion from 2 Corinthians, but I don't want to take any more time. But... I thought that these were appropriate for us. Psalm 1, we're familiar with it and sometimes rattle it off, but look at what it says. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. And he is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. This, again, is a promise to you as someone who hears this message from Jesus, that the word of God will bless those that you give it to, even though you can't see a thing. If your life is a blessing to the life of God within you, and you're living out what he has asked you to do, his word will speak through you. And I think that oftentimes we don't think about the power of the word. 
But the power of the word is living. The seed is imperishable. And so we think that it doesn't do any good when we talk to people. But the Lord says, it's not going to return void. Okay, now let's go on and look at the parable of the growing seed in Mark 4.26. This is a kind of a interesting parable. I don't think we've studied it much before. But I think that it has to do with what those verses on amending the soil um, just talked about, the imperishable word of God. (coughs) This is called a, a parable of spiritual growth. Now look, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So, What's the interpretation of this little parable? How does this fit with what we've just talked about? My study note says the gospel message contains its own power. The gospel message contains its own power. Romans 1.16, I believe it is. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. It is the power of God. The gospel of Christ, no matter how we spread it. And we don't think about this. We think, well, yeah, I I gave on my testimony a lot of times, but they don't seem to respond. You don't know. (laughs) I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. What do I live I live the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto those who don't know him, as well as to those who believe. It is the power of God working in us and through us. We need to remember that. The seed is the word, and the word speaks. It's imperishable. It's sharp, two-edged, sword, And it speaks to the hearts. Jesus says, it will not return unto me void. Okay? So, I want you to look at this this little parable again. What else does it say other than there's power in the word of God? Who's involved in causing the production? All right, look at that. There's no human hands involved in this little parable. It says, night and day, whether the sower sleeps, that's you, or gets up, the seed you've planted, what does it do? Sprouts and grows, though you do not know how. 
all by itself, the soil produces green. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel. In other words, the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's imperishable. That's why the Lord asks us to live out his word. The word of God is what lives through us. So this parable illustrates the growth of the seed under God's initiative. It doesn't take you out of the picture as far as putting your arms around that unbeliever or praying for that believer. But if you faithfully planted that seed, God is going to nurture that seed. What the person does with it ultimately is up to that person, but you are not let off the hook. You still need to be praying and working and, and working toward, and that's my phone. <laughs> I thought I shut it off, we'll just let it be. <laughs> I'm going to shut it off. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's probably Mr. Spam. <laughs> Your car warranty. Yeah. And I better get going on it. Okay, sorry about that. So, it says, all by itself, the soil produces grain, the stock, the head, and the full kernel. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. The end result of our planting that seed is the harvest. And God, again, is in charge of all of that. As you faithfully sow the seed, God waters it. He helps it to grow. And he looks forward to the harvest. And the harvest refers to what? The final coming of the kingdom of God. God wants to see a harvest among believers. <coughs> he wants our hearts to be yielded to him, but he wants there to be something that happens. So you want to continue to put your arms around those people that need to know the Lord so that they grow and a harvest is produced. Okay, questions or comments before we go on to the next one? Anything else? Yes, there's a lot of peace that comes in, like, yes, we have a responsibility, but it really is in the Lord's hands, because mm -hmm. I think, particularly when it comes to people's salvation, it can be really, like, um, you know, because we know, we know the gravity of it, mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I think we feel that that stress or that pressure, but being able to say, it's you know, it's in the Lord's hands, and He's going to be the one who who can produce that fruit, it, it, it helps give us peace. And I think we don't think about that. Mm -hmm. I think we think that the burden of getting that person to the Lord is on us. But our responsibility is to be faithful to God in how we live our lives. And that's what we've, that's what we've kind of forgotten. How I live doesn't really matter, but I can tell him he needs to be a Christian. But I'm doing the same thing he's doing. I'm living the same life he's living. And so the Lord says, you know, he says to us, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. But he himself becomes what we need to think about ministering. We minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the word of God grows because it cannot help it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we think we have to help the word grow. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean we don't need to stand next to those people and love them. All right. And the last little short parable goes along with this. Mary, are you going to? 
I have to remember not to judge mm -hmm. somebody else's fruit when I plant the seed mm -hmm. and maybe it isn't growing the way I want it right. to grow. Uh, just last week, I had um, I was down with my grandson, and I'm always praying for him, of course. And before we ate, I said, "Would you like to pray?" And it was a very insightful prayer. Wow. Yeah. And so, what I see is not what God sees. Mm -hmm. You ever feel that way? <laughs> Because they're not living like clones of us, thank the Lord. <laughs> I am learning more and more that um, you cannot put your own expect expectations for anything on anybody else. And that God works even in things we cannot imagine and ways that we can't imagine. And that's a really good lesson for us all to look at what's on the outside and not understand what's maybe going on in the inside. And I'm saying that because especially in these days, I mean, some of us who are my age have a certain picture of what a godly person should look like. <laughs> and, you know, this generation doesn't always look like what I think a godly person should look like. And, and I think that's maybe a good thing, you know? So thank you, Marion. Um, now, the parable of the mustard seed and how this relates to what we've been talking about. It's a familiar one. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Now, who'd have thunk this? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. So, what's the teaching about the kingdom of God? And how does it relate to what we've been talking about? Well, like you were saying, it has to grow. Mm -hmm. And it just continues to grow. The Bible presents, in all of the teachings of Jesus, a growth principle. In other words, he is the sower of the seed, and he looks for a harvest. He doesn't want us to be what we were at the beginning when he comes for the harvest. But the kingdom of God is like that too. And what we have here is a picture of growth. And the beginnings, yes, go ahead. I'd like to read my study note because it's really They're powerful. good. <laughs> the main point of this parable is that the kingdom of God seemingly had insignificant yep. beginnings. It was introduced by the despised and rejected Jesus and his 12 unimpressive disciples. But a day will come when its true greatness and power will be seen by the whole world. Mm -hmm. Remember Pastor James' sermon on Sunday? How he talked about this unlikely bunch of men that were following Jesus? And how they 
basically turned the world upside down, how Jesus himself had a very inauspicious beginning, born in a stable, born to poor people, from nowhere land, from Bethlehem. And yet the kingdom of God is still moving today and growing. So what Jesus is teaching us is this concept of growth in the kingdom of God so that it, it draws people in from the smallest seed to something that is so impressive and comforting that the birds of the air, the, the people around us, will flock to us. Now, sometimes when we don't see them flocking, we need to maybe take a look at what we're showing as far as the kingdom of God. But the principle is always toward growth. The word of God cannot fail, and it is alive. You need to remember that. The word of God is alive. It cannot help but grow. That's the growth principle. Jesus is alive within you because of the working of the imperishable word of God. It will always seek to produce growth in you. When you give out the word of God, it will not return void because the word of God is a growth principle and it must grow. And so this, this seed, this tiny seed, is pictured as this great big weed plant, almost a weed, the mustard. Very common, so that the people in Israel that were listening to this would have an idea of what Jesus was talking about. So what we see is, to connect all of this, we have a sower. He sows the seed, which is the word of God, and no person can cause that to grow but God will cause it to grow. The Lord redeems the soil, begins to work in it as we pray. Lord, change the heart of my friend. Cause them to be aware of you. Awaken their sleeping heart. Cause them, Lord, to want you. And as we pray, the soil begins to break up and that water jar up in heaven begins to tip over and soften that heart. And God tills the soil of a man's heart until it's ready to receive the seed. And then God, under his watchful eye, watches that seed and causes it to grow. And the person, of course, again, has the choice of whether to respond or not to respond. But God always will, will seek to produce growth. He cannot do otherwise. Living and imperishable. And so even the least likely person that we know under the word of God can become open to the word of God. And so our part in this whole scheme of things is to allow God to work within our hearts so that we can minister to the hearts of others. It's, it's a parable for believers. To sow that seed, to pray over it, to bring the word of God into it, and allow God to use us. It's not just a parable about planting. It's a parable about doing and being and allowing God to work. So let's close with prayer. 
We thank you, Jesus, that you don't quit on us. We thank you for the kind way that you deal with us. I thank you, Lord, for the, the tiny things about this parable that you bring out about seeds that are scattered, about a, a farmer, about ordinary things, Lord, that we can look at. And know, Lord, that you're looking at our lives and saying, this is what I have for you to do. And so we pray, Lord, that we be, we be open to your leading us. And help us, Lord, to be faithful to you so that your imperishable word is given out to a world that needs you badly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.